The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds, leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. And don't forget, while you're here, to also subscribe to the college CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. Let's get into it. And then there was one. You might remember, Norlander, you might remember, you were here right before the start of the season. I was just sitting here with you and you yeah. conversation. I didn't know we were talking about this. You started a conversation about how it might be more difficult than ever this season to try to predict who would be college basketball's last undefeated team. I objected to the premise. I didn't think it would be that difficult. And then I made a prediction. Hey, hey. Rather than hear me retell the story, yeah. let's just watch the original oh. version. Oh, let's you enjoy it together. It. Let's take a trip down memory lane. Okay. Six. All right. Last undefeated team. Oh, buddy. I went and looked at the schedules of every team ranked in the preseason AP Top 25. This feels harder to forecast than ever before. Nope. I've got it. Okay. Give me, because uh, I got two candidates. Um, and trust me, they are. Quasi off the board, but give me your team and uh, what date it's going to lose. Last un- last unbeaten in the entire country. I did not remember who I said for this last season. It was Houston, and you made it to 9-0. and Again, I picked TCU. They did not get to game four. I'm going to Houston again. Put your ones up. Put your ones up like you're a tribal chief. <laughs> okay. I assume that's a professional wrestler, by the way. That's the professional wrestler. That's the professional wrestler. That's the that's the universal <laughs> champion for more than a thousand days. Okay. Dead leg. Yeah, no, no shot. I know who that is. That's However, your tribal chief. Okay, we are. We have just set a podcast record. First of all, I. You know what? Shouts to you. Did a little back end production. You pulled a me. You dropped something I didn't know was coming here, which is great. Which I love to see. However, that is a record, by the way. For 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 Paris going with a look at me, Louis. Less than ninety seconds into a show, congratulations, you were right. Buddy, when you started this whole thing, and by you I mean me, by talking about Florida Atlantic's top five team in the country, you got to celebrate what you can celebrate. That's true. We will get to your FAU prediction. We might. We might not. So I promise. I might be done talking about FAU. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. It uh, it cuts both ways on this one. However, congratulations on that because of course. 
as many people realize here by Sunday night, we lost Ole Miss, which was no shock whatsoever. Uh, Ole Miss got absolutely destroyed by Tennessee. And then James Madison got bumped uh, from the from the ranks of the unbeatens over the weekend as well. Houston was the only one left without a scratch. Um, I see somebody in the chat saying uh, GP looks healthy and energetic now. I am feeling much better than I felt last Friday. Right below me, my wife is in bed with COVID. <laughs> it's rough over here, man. Gosh. So, I, I, to, admittedly, I did not uh, watch or listen to the show. Was it a struggle bus situation on Friday's show? It was rough. I was uh, having trouble getting through it. There was a time on Thursday night where I was like, I feel so bad. I don't know if I can do this. And then I was like, I'm just going to have to do it. But the weekend was rough. I felt really bad Friday, really bad Saturday. I'm feeling much better today. But as soon as I got home, actually, like when I landed, as I'm walking from my gate to baggage claim, I get a text from my wife. It's a positive COVID test. So uh, we're, we're struggling over here. But you know who's not struggling? Your Houston Cougars. Yes. COVID Good. can't get them. 14-0 with four Quadrant 1 wins. They are the last undefeated team in the country. In that clip we showed, you did ask me for the last undefeated team and the date they would finally lose. I did say that later in the clip. I just didn't want to run five minutes of uh, old show. As, mu as much as I would have enjoyed it, as much as I would have enjoyed it, I was scared nobody else would. Um, but I did predict that Houston would be 14-0 at this point, 15-0 with a win at Iowa State, and then 15-1 and one after a game at TCU. I had their first loss coming this upcoming weekend at TCU. So now I don't know whether to root for it or not. I mean, that's up, that's up to you. But at this point, you've gotten it past the finish line, and we have an undefeated team still heading into the second weekend of the month. That's a good thing. Reminder, Houston has ranked number one in multiple advanced metrics of the mainstream variety for a month and in some cases a month plus at this point. So uh, from a predictive standpoint, this is not a surprise. Nonetheless, congratulations again to Kelvin Sampson. They've only played one big 12. No, hey, let, no, let's, let's, let's keep the congratulations headed my way. I'm going to actually congratulate the coach and players responsible. No. Okay. No, yes. that seems unfair. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm getting enough credit. For I this. gave you credit off the top. You don't listen. Okay. You're, this is not a Chris Holtman situation and we're not veering toward Chris Holtman territory. It's just not going to happen there. I'm going to point out the fact that Houston right now has won 14 games in a row. One and zero in the big 12, although it did get a just, you know, Let's be honest here. It was West Virginia at home, and it's not a good team. Um, so that's the opener. Now it's got to play its next two on the road. We'll see if it can get the job done there. But by virtue of getting to this point on the calendar without a scratch and having defeated the likes of Utah, Dayton, both those teams uh, could very well play themselves into the NCAA tournament. We'll see. Uh, have a road win at Xavier, which is not nothing by any means. Uh, and they also have one over Texas A&M. I will get to the Aggies before we get out of this episode here. Um, it is a decent schedule. It is not, uh, in my opinion, one of the 10 best schedules to this point in the country by any means from a high major standpoint, but whatever, man, you get to January 8th and you still haven't lost a game. Big time credit there. And it sets the table for what will be one of the three to five biggest storylines in that league this season, which is Houston's been awesome the past half decade. Now as it makes the transition officially into the big 12, will it find itself in the next two months where it has been, you know, every year as of late. And that is at the top of the league ledger. Uh, obviously it's a big step up, but so far so good. Uh, you're very kind to Houston schedule uh, because uh, not only is it not one of the top 10, um, according to the net, it's not one of the top 172. 
I was going high major, so I, yeah, I'm not sure where it stands. Uh, that would be obviously be the entire sport there. So yeah, I don't think it's the I don't think it's an awful schedule. I just I think yeah, and that, that, but that's the immediate pushback. And honestly, like we're goofing around. I don't have much else to say about Houston because it was just uh, another big blowout win over a bad team. Uh, there's more important things that happened this weekend. But the one thing I will say is that when I tweet this Saturday night. Um, the, the, much of the pushback, to the extent there's any pushback, uh, the pushback is like, I, I literally read this. Um, somebody saying uh, uh, my high school team could have gone undefeated against that schedule or um, anybody could go, any good team, not great, any good team could go undefeated against that schedule. And that is wildly misguided. I mean, again, it's not the toughest schedule in the country. It's not one of the top 172 according to the net, but it, it is a 14-0 record featuring four quadrant one wins. Those quad one wins, you went through them. Dayton on a neutral, Utah on a neutral, Xavier on the road, Texas A&M on a neutral. Dayton, Utah, Texas A&M are all top 40 in the net, top 35 at Ken Palm. So um, I'm sorry none of them currently have a number next to their name in the AP poll, but those are you know top 35, top 40 teams. The idea that Houston's played nobody, it, 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 it isn't true, even if the schedule strength isn't great. Um, the idea that anybody could go not only do I roll my eyes at the idea anybody, because that's obviously not true, anybody could go undefeated against the schedule. Um, I, I would make the other argument to the other extreme. Who else could have gone undefeated against the schedule? The, the list would be short, to be honest, especially in the context of this particular season where um, let's, I guess, wait another few more weeks, GP, before we really arrive there. But um we're we're at a moment here uh, where it's it's seeming like there's a lot of good teams at the top, um, but I don't I don't know if we have a team. I think there could be an elite team that emerges, but at this point, um, a lot of teams have a lot of teams have either stepped in it or showed uh, that they have weaknesses, and those have been exploited. Not just like on a random one off night. That's really Purdue at this point. There's even other high level teams where they've been picked off. So to answer your question, yeah. I'm sure there might be three or five that could, and you could probably pull up the data and scrape the data and say actually, you know, when you look at this team versus the schedule, you know, the probability is pretty decent. But I trust I probably trust Houston more than any other team because frankly, it's been doing this against this level of opponent for. So so long that uh, it's exceeded expectations in terms of how good it is, no matter who it's playing. To be how honest. about this? If you took the top 10 teams in the country right now and allowed them, like just in this hypothetical world, to go play Houston's first 14 games, I would bet against every one of them going 14 and 0. That's a good call. And, and I, you know what? Purdue might burn me. UConn might burn me. You know, but I'd, I'd win money. I'd win money by betting against all 10. Uh, and, and, so I just I ran through it just sort of to to, to sort of uh, crystallize the point. I'll be quick with it. Number one team in the country is Purdue. They got a loss to Northwestern. Northwestern sixty seventh at Ken Palm. Northwestern also lost to Chicago State. Houston has four wins over teams ranked higher than the team that beat the team that is ranked number one and favored to win the national title right now. That suggests even Purdue would have a hard time being undefeated against Houston's schedule. Number two, Kansas lost by 14 to a Marquette team that is now two and two in the Big East. You sure they'd be undefeated against this schedule? Number four, UConn lost to a Seton Hall team that's 66 that can bomb. That's lower than four teams that Houston has beaten. Number five, Tennessee. This is where it gets interesting. Tennessee, no bad losses. Yeah. You could actually point to Tennessee and make the argument if you wanted to that the Volves would have or could have gone undefeated against the schedule because their only losses are Purdue, Kansas on neutrals at North Carolina. They got wins over Wisconsin, Illinois, Ole Miss, NC State. So a Vol fan, I'll give Vol fans a pass. If they want to say, we'd be undefeated against the Houston schedule, I'll at least listen to that. 
But then we get the number six, Kentucky. You lost to Wilmington. Be quiet. Number seven, Marquette. At home. You've lost to two sub-40 Ken Palm teams. Quiet down. The only team we know that would go undefeated against Houston's first 14 games is Houston. Again, I'll let Tennessee fans make the claim if they want. Everybody else, you need to STFU. <laughs> All right, there we go. There we have it. Uh, to me, Houston getting undefeated and being the only one, that's one of the bigger headlines of the weekend. But GP, I feel like the game that went down on CBS on Saturday with another Big 12 team is worthy of a little bit of discussion. This is America's most watched network, the network of stars. Kansas won again while struggling again. Beat TCU 83-81, but not without controversy. We'll discuss the Jayhawks in that final minute next. First, though, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Kansas won again this weekend. Struggled again this weekend. Beat TCU 83-81. It was controversial. Let me set the scene for you. Then we'll discuss it. So there's basically a minute left. TCU is up 79-77. Kansas has the ball. Kevin McCullough tries to feed Hunter Dickinson. Ernest Uday, a former Jayhawk, by the way, appears to get a steal. TCU is out in transition, five on four, because Hunter Dickinson is lying down on the court after being struck seemingly inadvertently by Uday in the head. Whistle blows. Transition opportunity is over. Officials review it. They call it a flagrant one. So instead of TCU being five on a being on a five on four break with a two point lead in the final minute, Kansas gets two free throws and the ball with 57 seconds remaining. Hunter Dickinson makes both free throws, tie game. Dewan Harris gets a bucket, KU up 81-79, 43 ticks left. On the other end, Micah Peavy, offensive rebound, put back, ties the score, 81. So now Kansas has the ball, tie game, shot clock off. Dewan Harris gets it to Hunter Dickinson, catches it deep, easy bucket, also controversial. Kansas has a lead. Jameer Nelson Jr. misses a jumper at the buzzer, and that was that dead leg. What would you make of the final minute, Kansas-TCU? Should TCU fans, I know they are upset, Mm -hmm. should they legitimately be upset? I mean, you are entitled to be upset if you're a TCU fan. I get it. Uh, I'm not up in arms over the call, to be honest. Uh, The irony with all this is that Uday, as you mentioned, former Kansas player, he is not at Kansas because Hunter Dickinson went to Kansas. Uh, So the fact that he winds up playing uh, a critical role, albeit arguably unintentional role with this and uh, and enabling a, a window to be open for Kansas to take the game uh, it, to big 12 fans that are familiar with this. This is obviously nothing new. I, I don't, I frankly, I don't hate the call. Um, it is a go either way close to 50, 51 for me. Um, 
I can easily understand if you're a TCU fan. Plus, you're in that like you're in that building. TCU's had a decent start so far, but it doesn't have a resume win yet this season. Um, so you had one, uh, a really you know you were hanging around and hanging around and hanging around, and they couldn't they couldn't pull it out despite playing them close. There, Kansas has won. I mean, the amount of games that Kansas has won in the Big Twelve at home, you know, where it's been down to a possession in the final minute, but they seem to pull it out, speaks to. Uh, the year-over-year reliability to Bill Self as a coach and that roster. People that don't like Kansas are obviously going to push back against that pretty hard and say, you know, it's always eight on five in that building. Uh, I get it. Uh, Kansas fans are at the very top of the list, and I say this endearingly and lovingly because I find it, um, <laughs> I find it so entertaining. I don't think there is a fan base in America that is more offended by the nation, the notion of an official calling a foul on their home team than the Kansas fans, and that is, it is every home every home arena is, it does this. There is no fan base that takes it more personally than KU, and uh, because of that. Um, Kansas and that that team they 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 rally around this and that building is among the very best if not the best in the entire sport. I didn't have a huge issue with the call and that bucket that Dickinson hit to to win it. Uh, that's you know on the very short list of reasons why Kansas needed to get Dickinson on its roster this season um, was plays like that. Um, and I don't know if you know I wasn't following along in real time with this on social media or anything like that. I don't know if people thought maybe that Dickinson might have even uh, pushed up to get some space and there should have been a call there again. Um, but you're in the fog. What are you going to do? TCU put up a big battle uh, and a good fight, but KU gets the win. And has, is, is, we'll see down the road on Kansas and, and if it's able to, uh, to establish itself as the true alpha in this league with the likes of Houston and all these others, GP, because um, I think even some KU fans would admit that to this point, it's getting the wins as it should. But there have been a couple of instances here where it is uh, it has escaped in, you know, in close to 50-50 kind of matchups. So that, that was kind of my takeaway on the game. Just to double down on something you said, I was down in Fort Lauderdale, CBS Sports HQ Studios. First time I've been down there in a while, by the way. Yeah. They're didn't, great. Didn't even recognize the building when you walked in kind of deal. That studio's great. Yeah, yeah. Green it's room's very great. similar to the Stamford one up here. Yeah, yeah no, it looks sharp. I was, uh, I was real impressed. It was nice to be down there, but I was uh, on set with uh, Jeremy St. Louis, and we, you know, we're coming right off of this game live. And uh, he was like, just your thoughts on the final minute. I said, I feel like I've watched that final minute of a Kansas game inside Allen Fieldhouse a hundred times. Yeah. Like tight game against an inferior opponent, controversial call, but it goes your way. Then DeWan Harris makes a bucket game's over. Like, you know, they, they just felt like I've watched that. I know I haven't seen it a hundred times. It felt like I'd seen it a hundred times. Um, as for how it went down, I'll just say this. Gene Steratore is the, CBS sports officiating expert, right? Yeah. He said it should not have been a flagrant immediately. He looked at it. They went to him. He said, I don't see it. It should not. This is in the middle of the review. He basically predicting they're going to look at this. They ain't going to see what they need to see. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to keep playing. So he was surprised that the officials actually did call it a flagrant one. Meantime, we go back to the studio in New York, CBS Broadcast Center, Jay Wright and Seth Davis. They both disagree with Gene and said it should have been a flagrant one. So for our purposes, I don't think I have much interest in like debating um, whether the call was technically correct or not relative to the rule book. Because if Gene, I'll just, simple. If Gene and Jay and Seth can't agree, I don't imagine there's much 
anything we're going to be able to say. There might not be hope for the world if that's the case. I'm, that's good. I'm just saying this seems like the type of thing where people have already made their minds up, right? And there ain't nothing I'm going to be able to say to change anybody. Like I could talk to Seth Davis about this for the next hour. I would not change his mind. All right. So I don't think we're changing anybody's mind. I guess the main thing I would say is that regardless of whether it was a correct call relative to the rule book or not, it felt wrong. It felt Emphasis wrong. on the word felt. It felt wrong to have a game decided that way because it really did flip the game. Like if TC was up two and out in transition, five on four break in the final minute, you just pause it right there and do the whole win probability thing. They're probably going to win that game. But by the time TCU got the ball back, TCU was down two and basically on the wrong side of a two for one situation because Kansas got to go down and take right. two for one. So that stinks. I hated the call even if it was technically right. And I'm not certain that it was. Simply put, if a game can be determined with a flagrant one connected to what we all watched on Saturday afternoon, we have a rule book problem. What Ernest Uday did in that moment should not flip a game against TCU. That's the part that felt wrong. So if Gene Steratore is right, and it should not have been a flagrant one relative to the rule book, then shame on the refs. But if Jay and Seth were right, that it should have been a flagrant one relative to the rule book, then we need to change the rule book. Because I just sitting and I saw Kansas fans, even some of them, tweeting this on Saturday. I feel bad about that. Like, I'm glad we won. I'll take it. I'm trying to win another Big 12 title. But that didn't feel right. That didn't feel right to me. I don't care what the rule is. I mean, obviously, I do care what the rule is. But it's just when you watch that and you go, did that feel right? Should that really have decided that game? I didn't think so. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of gray area, in my opinion, when it comes to flagrant run interpretation. You get some of this as a, an analog is in uh, college football with the targeting rule. And that is, this has been something that has obviously caused plenty of uproar in that sport. Uh, hopefully it doesn't rear its head, uh, pun intended, there on Monday night in the national championship game. We'll pick that before the show's out here. Um, but yeah, I would, you know, when it comes to the flow of the game, the way that it was playing out, uh, particularly with how Uday was playing and how that play played out, I wouldn't disagree with you on that, GP. You just don't want to have a game marred by that. Now, sometimes it's just inevitable it's going to happen. Uh, but I, I wish there was a bit more decisiveness in the language uh, when it comes to some of these flagrant ones. I mean, I, I wrote about it last week in the court report. There are multiple flagrant one interpretations for coaches uh, being outside the coaching box. And it is a little bit of an irony um, and a couple of people found me and said that uh, they were I'm genuinely happy to hear this was the case. A uh, couple of officials were like keeping coaches in check and being like, get in the box. So it was kind of, it was cool to see that the, the article actually seemed to have a little bit of impact there. But it is ironic that that kind of flagrant one warning, even warning first in a flagrant one has not been called for years and years and years. And yet a play like this can I don't want to say it flipped the game because there's no telling that TC would win the game if it doesn't get called. Um you just don't want to see it happen there. So I don't, I don't disagree with you on, on terms of uh, how it felt in the moment there. And the rule probably needs a little bit more clarity here. You get this every so often, every few times a season parish where you get a flagrant one. And when you watch the play, you just don't feel like the player was doing it uh, consciously or with enough intent to, to raise it to that level. That That's exactly right. Like, and I, I know the rule about, you know, armed ahead. I got you. Mm -hmm. I don't believe Ernest Uday did that on purpose. All right. I don't believe he tried to hit Hunter Dickinson. And then Hunter played it up intelligently. Like 
you know, he laid on the ground. Ah, they stopped the play, but he wasn't really hurt. Not, not certainly not hurt enough to where he couldn't continue. Evidence being that he did continue. You say the the rule needs. Um, what's the word you used? A, a clarification or update to change. Maybe I, I would actually rather than being just black and white, because yeah. I think this is what the problem with the rule as it is currently constructed. It's it's even though Gene and Seth and Jay can disagree on it, it's supposed to be clear. Did this hat look at it? Did you see this? If you saw this, it's a flagrant one, right? I would actually like to leave it up to the officials a little bit more, like let them talk about it. Let them provide context. You know, major league baseball does this. I was trying earlier to think of uh, something from another sport that is, and it might be apples to oranges, but I think you'll get the point in major league baseball. Do you realize you can hit a batter in the head with a fastball, 97 miles per hour and be punished in no way whatsoever. Yeah. They just let you throw the next pitch. They'll take that guy to the hospital and you throw the next pitch. On the other hand, you can also throw a fastball three feet over somebody's head. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even hit them, and they'll throw you out of the game. Mm-hmm. It's all left up to the ump. It's at his discretion. All right, this is just a ball that got away from this guy. It meant nothing. It's just a bad pitch. He's going to stay in the game. All right, this guy just homered off this guy two innings ago. Now he's back up and first pitch. He threw it over his head. You got to go. Noah Syndergaard got thrown out of a World uh, NLCS game 2015 for the Mets. Didn't hit anybody. Just threw a ball over somebody's head that connected some stuff from a previous game. And the ump said, you can't do that. You're gone. I didn't hit anybody. Doesn't matter. You're gone. Because the umps knew what he was doing. I would like officials to have a little more leeway here to be able to huddle, look at it and go, okay, the way that rule used to be written, this would maybe be a flagrant one. But come on, man. These dudes have been playing for 39 minutes. Why don't we just let them figure this out and not maybe not decide the game with this call, but you certainly flip the odds in a dramatic way. Yeah. TCU goes from being up to with the ball in transition to to down to with the ball. You you flip the game. Yeah. You you at least you you took a likely winner and made them a likely loser. You took a likely loser and made them a likely winner. Mm-hmm. I would like officials to be able to provide that context in their huddle and say, guys, we'll talk about this more later, but we are not making this call right now because it will be a terrible way to end this game. Yep, I, I agree. And, you know, play so many damn games in a year, you're going to have these instances pop up every, every now and then. Uh, of all the times, of all the teams, it, it just happened to be Kansas in that building, which just, you know... Fuels the fire for opposing fan bases that have been on the wrong end of not that exact kind of scenario, but you get the point. All right. So that's what happened with Houston in the Big 12, with Kansas in the Big 12. We'll skip around some other interesting developments from the weekend next. But first, let's get one more word from our partners. All right. If you're a regular listener to Sunday night episode of the Island College Basketball Podcast, you know Norlander usually handles the weekend rip around. But uh, this weekend, he took some nice time with uh, it was with your family, was it? Or was it not with your family? No, it was. You left your family. Okay. I was going to say you got some nice quality family time. Yeah. yeah, But uh, he just decided to hang out with his friends. So, uh, yeah, you know, Vermont native got up there. I always I do. I do one getaway ski weekend every January. That's this. Hey, hey, yeah. Hey. Explain it to your wife and your kids. Now. I don't need to. They were they were all for it, and we're going to do another one later uh, later this year. In fact, I went into a spot. I was with a buddy that uh, that had not. We went up to Killington, and uh, we went to one of these bars. And I said he had, he didn't realize I did a podcast and all this stuff. And um, 
I was like, no, yeah, I did. In fact, it was at that table about 10 years ago that I literally edited and uploaded an episode of the podcast. (laughs) uh, Fortunately, didn't have to do that uh, this time around, but it was a good time on the slopes. But that means that you got to build the Sunday whip around. So let's start with this. Mick Cronin skipped his press conference after UCLA fell to six and nine with a 66-57 loss at home to Cal. Yikes, man. UCLA has now lost seven of nine. These dudes went from playing Marquette and Gonzaga tight early mm-hmm. to losing to everybody. Now they can't beat anybody. And Bill Pulaski, the longtime LA-based columnist, like I thought it was a fair but harsh column. Like he let him have it pretty good. What do you make of everything that's happening at UCLA right now? Mick has gone from it publicly, like I don't know that he says anything that coaches don't say privately. Sometimes, but like coaches don't usually say this kind of stuff publicly. He said, Hey, listen, I'd love to have better players, but we didn't have the money to buy them. He criticized last week his players' intelligence and more or less threatened, like, Hey, if your performance doesn't improve, you won't have this opportunity anymore. These opportunities don't last forever. Um, so, like, it is, it's spiraling there. Obviously, it's not something he can't get back under control, but UCLA is 176th in the net right now. That's wild. It is absolutely spiraling on a man who has not been in this kind of situation for well over a decade. Um, Ever since he got to UCLA, he has coached an NCAA tournament squad. Even in 2020, when we didn't have one, UCLA was a projected tournament team in his first year there, then Final Four, back-to-back Sweet 16s the past two seasons, with UCLA being a two-seed a year ago, and they were a four-seed before that. He's he's entitled, frankly, to having just an absolute bagel of a year, and maybe that's what this is going to be. Um, but he is just burning down a ton of stuff on the way to doing this, and I don't quite get it. And sorry, Mick, no excuse. You don't skip the press conference. Absolute amateur hour stuff. You deserve to be called out for it. You're the head coach. You take it. I don't care unless unless there was an, a truly a health related reason or emergency that would force you to miss a post game press conference. There's never an excuse for a head coach of a program not to attend a post game press conference. I will tell you the the publicly stated explanation. I don't want to call it an excuse because that implies negative stuff. Explanation was that he was still talking to his team and didn't want to keep the media waiting. But as Plasky points out in his column, the media under circumstances like this is always happy to wait however long they have to wait. We have sat, yeah. and you probably more than me, frankly, but it's happened with the ever. We have sometimes sat and waited for a losing coach north of 45 minutes. And it's annoying in the moment as someone in the media because you want to get the quotes and it's just, you know, it's, it's quote gathering and scene gathering and all that kind of stuff. Um, and some, some coaches, I think, over the years maybe have taken a little bit of uh, sick delight in, and knowing that the media is sitting there waiting and be like, oh, they'll, they'll wait for an hour. Uh, that does happen. But it doesn't matter, man. Show up to the press conference, Mick. Not acceptable. Sorry, dude. You got to be at the presser. Does it, you're, you're having a bad season. You have gone after your players here and there. Hey, I'm all for coaches being on the record and criticizing their team if it's valid. And, you know, in many cases, these are grown men. And some, in some cases, they are grown men on their way to making a, a paycheck professionally to play college, to play basketball at the next level after college there. Um, but you get the attention of Plashke. That's going to make a lot of noise in that town, as it should. Uh, Cronin, again, I'm going to repeat this. He's He's got the bandwidth, the, sl- the the slack, the leash, however you want to put this, to have a stinker of a year. And this, that, this is what that is. UCLA is terrible, man. They are not good. You lose to Cal like that, awful. Um, 
show up to the press conference, and a lot of this stuff falls on you as the head coach. I think he knows that. He doesn't seem to be taking quite enough accountability for it. I think you've got a couple thoughts on that. But that's my you know, takeaway after hearing what he did over the weekend. Uh, super soft move from him. I would hope he doesn't do it again. Yeah, I obviously think he should have been at the press conference too. I'm just always... Um, hesitant to start complaining about how coaches treat the press because my experience is that fans don't seem to care. Like, you, you don't win over many fans when... It's not even the how you're treating the press. Like, you're not even getting there and showing up for the, for the UCLA fans that care I, about this. Like, you're, you're actually shortchanging them. So that's... The press I agree with you. Accountable for that. And I think you know that, but I'm just adding... No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think he should have been there. And yeah, I should have said that differently. It's not just what he... Like, you should be there to tell your fan To talk to your fans through the press. And... You know, there's a reason why every other coach in the country shows up every time, right? Um, and or at least most times. And so I thought that was a bad look, but again, that's not the type of thing that that fans tend to care about. I was I wasn't good, uh, taking issue with your point as much as just it doesn't play with fans the way it plays with media. Um, you say that he has done enough to earn the opportunity to have a terrible year. And I agree with you. Like, I still think McGronin is one of the best coaches in the country. I like, it would be crazy for me to watch a, uh, a sample size more than a decade long and then change my entire opinion two months into a season where he's caught with seven freshmen. Right. So I, but at UCLA, this is not the place that they have patience for this kind of stuff. I mean, you realize Steve Alford was in the sweet 16 in March 2017 and fired 13 games into the 2018-19 season. Yes. Two years after that, less than two years after that, he's gone. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. But he, but the, my, I'd split it this way. This would be the first time Cronin doesn't make the tournament. That was the second time Alford missed it. So they, like, they, I don't think there's any chance that Cronin gets fired. I, I don't, oh, I don't no, think no, there's no. there either, but I just want to be clear on this. I think UCLA could lose... A, a, lose another 20 games the rest of the season or how many are left and I still don't think he'd be fired. I agree with you. I don't think he's in trouble of getting fired this year, but you keep this going the way it's going, you mm -hmm. come back next year and miss the tournament again, that really might be it. And the problem he runs into now is that because we talked about this a few weeks ago, if you're Louisville, you're looking for a coach, why wouldn't you at least kick the tires on Mick Cronin? And I still would. Even if this season was bad, I, I bad. This kind of stuff just is not. But this kind of stuff makes it harder to do. Way harder, man. Way, Way harder. harder. Way harder. And so you might be, you know, when you start saying stuff publicly like, hey, I'd like to have better players, but we don't have NIL money at UCLA, that probably doesn't play well with everybody at UCLA, right? So you probably are alienating yourself from some people at your current place and also causing problems with possible future employers. Because it's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, the guy's uh, he's done a lot of good stuff, but now he's just showing up at press conferences, pointing fingers at everybody other than himself. And then he's now he's skipping press conferences. And are we sure we want to get into business with this guy? I just saying this has not been a good two months for wherever Mick's career is going. And I guess I just say this. I get how frustrating it must be to get into a profession under certain pretenses and then watch it just flip so dramatically um, the way that being a college basketball coach and college football coach um, has flipped in the past few years, name, image, and likeness, rights, 
transfer portal, one-time transfer waiver. You're, the, the, the job description is vastly different than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And you have to do things that you've never had to do. But that's the point. You have to do things that you've never had to do. So if you don't have NIL money just stacked up like your Texas or Kansas or Arkansas or Alabama or whatever, well, then it's your job to go create the NIL money. Um, if, uh, if you have dumb players, which is certainly what Mick implied last week, well, it's your job to recruit smarter players. You know, if you, this goes for anything in college athletics. Like there is no general manager to blame. There is no front office to blame. Like you are in control. And so I don't think fans have much patience anymore to hear particularly coaches at blue blood programs like UCLA to complain about their roster or complain about their NLM money. Cause I think what most fans would say back is, yo man, you're in charge of the roster. You can raise NIL money. I mean, there's probably a smart way for you to come out of your own pocket. If that's what you need to do, there's ways around everything. Um, but like just losing every game and complaining about it afterwards and pointing fingers everywhere else. That's, that's, uh, that's problematic. Yeah, we can keep it moving. One one note here because I did uh, fact check myself in real time. I thought Lavin might have only missed one and gotten fired. That is what happened. Uh, he was there seven years. Year seven, they were 10 and 19. He was out. They had made the tournament every year before. Hadn't made a Final Four like Cronin did make an Elite Eight in his first season. Three, uh, four, four Sweet 16, excuse me, in the preceding five seasons before that. What else from the weekend do we want to touch on? Here? So go, we'll go from Mick Cronin to Mick Cronin's former school, Cincinnati. Maybe one of the more surprising victories of the weekend. One at in, in terms of notable games. Cincinnati wins at BYU. Do you believe the Bearcats are legitimate? Do you think BYU is a classic computer tricker? I, I'm not calling computer tricker just yet here. Um, although this is uh, another team in that general area. Uh, ski, ski country out west. How about that? Colorado it was a year ago or two years ago. Now you got BYU here. Let's go with Cincy first. 12-2. and two. I did have them making the tournament this year, so... Uh, you pat your back. I guess I'll pat mine, although we are a ways to go. This was by far the most significant win of Cincinnati season so far. Um, a lot of uh, Rotoho there. We'll see if they can get it done. Wes Miller, um, he's in getting his guys eligible because of all the changes that happened uh, back a month ago or so. Um, this is a big one, and there's a, there's a few two-loss teams out there that are that are starting to perk up and make some noise and maybe start having people pay attention. But you do this, and you do it on the road, double-digit win. I thought that was significant. Real quick on BYU, also now 12-2 and two by virtue of this loss. Um, you know, is it surprising? Yeah, of course it's surprising, GP. Uh, their numbers have been so good and, and the schedule overall. I, frankly, you could really look at the schedule that BYU played and say it wasn't even as good as Houston's, uh, in my opinion. So we'll see uh, moving forward. Um, if I had to, you're not asking me this, but if you had me pick, you know, BYU's next two months or Cincinnati's, who would I buy more? I would, I would buy BYU more to this point, but that's a big time W. And uh, and we may well come to learn that Cincinnati winning at BYU is going to have to get, it will get other big wins in the Big Twelve. But maybe that was the one that really turned the season and will be the the clincher between them getting in or going to the NIT. Yeah, Cincinnati doesn't have big wins other than this one, but you know the losses are at Xavier and to Dayton in Cincinnati, but not at Fifth Third. So technically neutral. Yeah. Um, they've only played three games in the first two quadrants. Three. Um, but they are one and two in those games. And they don't have any other losses anywhere else. I moved them into the top 25 and one. I got Cincinnati 24, BYU 25, and now Wake Forest 26. First team out, Texas Tech. I got my eyes on them. I got my eyes on them. Huh? But BYU, 
uh, in terms of computer trickers. Currently fourth in the net, ninth at Ken Palm, eighth at Bart Torvik, but they're just two and two in the first two quadrants. Only got one quad, one win. That's a victory over San Diego State nearly two months ago. And now you lose a home game to Cincinnati, and up next for them is at Baylor. You know what that means? Tell me. <laughs> oh, it's my favorite saying. Okay. You can't lose a game. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You can't lose a game you're supposed to win right before you have to play a game you're supposed to lose. That's, that that's how you get a losing streak. That's how you get a losing Reliable streak. Reliable chestnut there. That's right. That's right. Do you consider, how about this, though? I feel like, I feel like calling a two game uh, losing streak isn't a streak. That's, that feels too aggressive. I feel like it's got to be three in a row. Either okay, way, well, let's name it. What, is a two, what are two losses in a row? Give a, you know what? To me, that's a skid. That's a, a losing skid. skid. Yeah, give it a skid. Two, um, this is officially to, to all sports media out there. Two in a row, that's a skid. Three plus, then you're on an official streak. Okay, now Dude. let's make a promise to each other. Okay. Every time we write, every time we talk, <laughs> every time, yes. every time without exception, wanna, two game. Want to cut our palms right now? Make this a blood oath. <laughs> let's do a. Let's do it. Let's be blood brothers. Okay. Did you ever? Do you ever? Do you ever trade blood with somebody when you were a kid? Of course, was I born in seventeen forty seven? Of course not. Like, what is it? What kind of question is that? I feel like I used to trade blood with people. Yeah. I feel like that was a thing. Like you cut yourself and you trade blood with people. And that's how I got HIV. All right. Here we go. No, I didn't. I didn't. But I feel like I'm I'm blood brothers with people. I don't remember who, but I feel like I've done that. I'm not going to be one of them. However, I will agree. (laughs) I will do a proverbial handshake with you. Uh, palms clean, and we can make we can. Now I'm bringing razors to the final four. It's packed. No, stop. I'm bringing razors yeah. to the yeah, final four. The plane. Good luck. Yeah. Okay. And breaking news. I've tried to bring razors to the final four so we can be blood brothers, and I get arrested by TSA. Exactly. <laughs> you didn't quite think this. Through. Wouldn't that be a good story? Shocking news. Breaking news. The guy who proclaims to be an expert in all things of. Uh, What's the damn? What's uh, among the many things? Um, I'm a I'm an expert in extortion. Extortion. There we go. Yeah, extortion. I'm a doctor. I thought this all the way through here. I'm a doctor yeah. and I'm a uh, expert on extortion. And I rank 26 basketball teams every morning. I don't know if you heard oh, about that. No. Um, Cincinnati. It's a two BYU. game losing skid, three game losing streak. We Correct. just determined that's the way it's going to be going forward. Check right. the top. Check the top 25 one every morning. If somebody loses two games in a row. I'm going to call it a skid. And yeah. I don't think I've ever called it a skid before, but I'm going to do it. Skid. I love it. Okay. I'm going to do it. That's because we're, we're bud brothers. What else we got? Um, SEC, when we started this season, seemed like the most wide open power conference in the country, perhaps. Now, would you agree? It feels like it, maybe it's Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn, and, and then a little bit of a gap. It certainly seems that way. Um, not much to say about Tennessee. Like, congrats to Tennessee, but... The result, I guess, wasn't that surprising. Um, and to be clear, we are one game into SEC play. Uh, but having to see what these t- teams have accomplished, metrics would say Bama, um, but it, ha- it just hasn't gotten the wins. They're 0-5 in quadrant one and six in the net. I know. I, well, maybe you should be taking your computer trick or compass and pointing it to a different part of the country. I don't in know. Tuscaloosa. There you go. That might, that might be a lot of computer. They, 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 you got you got an Alabama potential computer tricker, a BYU potential computer tricker. We Frankly, um, maybe an Iowa State computer tricker situation. This is, this is the podcast that shouts out the greatest player in the history of South Carolina basketball. I will at least mention the game cost of 13 and one. Yeah. However, we just got to see a little bit more here. And you got a couple of roadies upcoming. If you get if you peel off at least one victory there, we'll, we'll give a little more 
time. They're not at the table just yet. Um, Auburn, uh, let's let's just sit on this real quick. Um, walking into Bud Walton, my God, place where I saw Arkansas uh, shorthanded be able to take down Duke earlier this season and simply lay the largest of eggs. I mean, eighty three to fifty one. 83 to 51 Arkansas. What are we doing here? The, to me, you were in that building less than two months ago. How does anybody beat that team in that building by that much? Come on, man. It, to, listen, I am, I am going to give credit to Auburn for going in and winning like that. And it is deservingly at the table to be an SEC champion. Auburn, I, I sold on them going into the season relative to where they were in the preseason. I was wrong on that. Arkansas, I sold on relative to where they were. And I have been right about that. I the result to me is more about Arkansas and what we'll see what Musk can do to try and maybe get this thing turned around. But this is a nine and five team right now. And the Duke win is the only thing it can hang its hat on a home loss to UNCG is already out there. Um, lost a competitive game to, to Memphis in the Bahamas. UNC ran away from it. And then it tried to keep pace, but couldn't with a with an Oklahoma team that looks pretty good there. Um, now you're staring down two roadies against the Georgia team. Oh, by the way, as we talk to the SEC here, Georgia's uh, at 11 and three and has won nine in a row. So interesting times in the SEC. Um, I'm not willing to say that it's just a three-team race just yet, but those are the three clearly most likely candidates. Then, and obviously, Kentucky got a competitive, really nice win. That was I, that's kind of win if you're a Kentucky fan, GP. Where it's just like, all right, this, these kind of games, seeing them pull the pull these wins out. Is is giving me hope if you are a Kentucky fan and saying we go on the road. Florida looks like a decent team. We get this win. Start off SEC play. You're you're seeing the evidence pile up here that this should uh, be a quality season for the Wildcats. Um, for what it's worth, Ken Palm is currently projecting SEC co-champions. Have you looked at it? I have not. Who do you think they have? Uh, I would say it's Tennessee, Kentucky, but that seems almost like too obvious of an answer. It's Tennessee, Auburn. It's Tennessee, Auburn. Okay. It's BP's current school and BP's yeah, former there school. There you go. How about, how about, projected to be co-champs in the SEC at 14 and four. Ken Palm currently projects Kentucky two games back of that. When do, do you know when they play and do they play twice? Uh, Auburn and Tennessee. Do you have that up by chance? I'm just, oh, I don't have it up, Auburn, but I can oh, find I got it. You, I got you right now. I got you right now. Uh, they only play once. Auburn goes to play at Tennessee end of February there. So only once. Um, uh, Auburn's next opponent is AM, and they're um, they're getting a mention here because that is that is a yikesy. You're losing at home to LSU. Um, that was a misfire on my behalf. I thought AM would uh, I picked them to win the SEC. I'm not going to be right on that. Buzz Williams team too experienced to be to to be this inconsistent at this point. Obviously, credit to Matt McMahon and LSU being able to do that, but can't be dropping games against LSU and considering yourself a, a surefire NCAA tournament team. Aggies have work to do. It's just um, I don't know. Funny how this stuff works. Texas A&M last season goes 15 and three in the SEC and they bring back most of the good pieces from that team. And now they're nine and five and 0 and one in the SEC with a home loss to LSU. Yeah. Well, it's hard to do this year over year. It really is. Well, like I mean, the same thing at Marquette Marquette, same thing at FAU. We can talk about all these teams. Yeah, all, it's the same yeah, thing. It is. And coaches say this and I feel like it, they, they almost, uh, they try and just, just, get us into our stupid right. heads that just listen. It's not the same thing year after year. If we bring back a lot of guys, it's not easy to do. And they are right. And these are three teams that are clear evidence of that. Well, I had a coach tell me this one time we got into a conversation and it was the same type of thing. Like I'm sitting there going like North Carolina last year. Yeah. Great example. Yeah. And I heard I, I coach said this and I've heard other coaches say it. Um, the, the thought was 
and he was he wasn't talking down. He was just sort of like being. I, I actually appreciate it when coaches listen to the podcast and then they 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 reach out and they go, "Hey, I want to talk to you about something." Or and sometimes it's even like I got a text from a coach one time. He's like, "Hey, I didn't hear it, but I heard you said somebody told me you said this and wanted to go. You know, I want you got ten minutes. Let's talk about it." I like that. Mm-hmm. And so what one coach we were having this conversation. And he said, "The mistake people make is you you go." This team was good. They're bringing everybody back. It's the same team, but it's never the same team. You've got different personalities. You've got different desires. You've got different levels of development throughout the offseason. Sometimes uh, the pecking order of things changes. It's just stop. And I had a coach said said this to me. He said, stop saying they're bringing back their whole team. They're bringing back basically the same team. Because you don't have any idea what they're bringing back. They are bringing back basically the same players, at least the same names and the same jersey numbers, but you don't know what's been going on. And something that was good can be bad, and something that was bad can be good. And Texas A&M, it's early. Keep in mind, they started bad last year, too. They did. But I don't know. I just sort of – that's something I try to remind myself of, and maybe I need to – Maybe I'm the person that needs to be reminded of this most after North Carolina last year and Florida Atlantic this year. Like, yeah. just because all these dudes are back from a good team doesn't mean they're going to be a good team again. And uh, there's a lot of examples of that throughout the school. As we do this right now, live here, I mean, right now, Northwestern just hit a triple. It's 64-47. Now, Northwestern's at home, and it's a 10-3 and team before this game goes final. But that they're beating Michigan State uh, 64-47, excuse me. And that's a Michigan State team that was also picked in the top five. So. Dude, you have no... It's becoming difficult to find 26 teams to put in the top 25 and one. Well, do, would you agree on this? And we're veering a little bit, but we can have this quick discussion because I think I had this as an, uh, an, uh, an email mailbag question in the court report last week. To me, this year, the top 20-ish teams at the top, I feel like it's it, weirdly enough because we're still in a COVID year. It shouldn't be this. Uh, and maybe this will prove to be incorrect six weeks from now when we look up. But I feel like the top 20, I'm not talking the top three, the top five, who are the elite teams? I'm talking the t- the teams that are in contention or should be in contention to get a one, two, three, four, five next to their name in the big dance. I feel like for whatever reason, uh, that's just a little bit lower this year across the board. Like if you're grading it out last year, year before, really uh, 2020 year as well. I, I, mean, I could be wrong on that, but it's just a general vibe. Maybe it's because we're getting these, these random losses. And you're just, you're seeing like, and again, I'm saying this in real time here, so this is going to go out uh, to traditional podcast channels overnight and into your phones on Monday when you're listening. But like, I've been watching this game with the side eye here, and like Michigan State's getting run, dude. Like, it's almost a 20 point, and this is a team that's been up and down all season. But to to your point, I guess you know, I, I would you agree? Top 20 teams, they just feel like a tick down from what we've seen in recent years. Yes, and I I think the mid, like I'm just telling you when I you know I wake up. And I start and I go, okay, I got to get this team out. I've, you know, I've got to get Florida Atlantic out. I decided to get James Madison out. You got to definitely get Texas A&M out. There was another one I had to push. I, like I had to push out four teams this morning. And then I start looking for four teams. And it's like, really? I guess congratulations, Wake Forest. You know, like I don't, it, I have noticed the top does it like Purdue is excellent. And we should know Purdue handled Illinois. Illinois covered that number on Friday night, but Purdue was a big Yeah, I, ca- I actually caught most of the, I, yeah. I, I actually caught most of that game and uh yeah, Illinois kind of chased at the end, but that that was if you watch the game it was right. one of those where it's like you never thought Illinois was actually going to come close. No, it, it, uh, Illinois was down double digits the entire second half until there were like 
three minutes left in the game, four minutes left in the game. So the fi- if all you did was go to bed on Friday night, wake up Saturday morning and look at the box score, you'd be like, ooh, Illinois played them tight. They mm-hmm. didn't. They made the score close at the end, but that was not a competitive um, not a competitive game. So I think Purdue is excellent. I think Houston's excellent. We just, you know, we need to see it against, you know, elite competition. And we will. They play in the Big 12. There's no way not to play elite competition. But, yeah, the the rest of the top 10 after that, I mean, I've got Kansas in the top three, and they seem very vulnerable. Um, you know, and then and then when once you get to the twenties, I've just been rotating teams out of there. It feels like for three straight weeks now. So yeah, I think the I don't even know how to quantify this, but it feels like the level of basketball being played at the top of the sport, to your point, is a little down relative to where it normally is. And I'm just, I didn't have any idea we were going to talk about this and I might not even be right. I'm just sort of thinking through it. I wonder how much of that, if any of it, is just the roster overhauls. It's just so many people playing with new people every single year. Could be that, although Marquette doesn't have that. That's I, right. right. Like, so you don't have the Marquette. You don't have UFA. Yeah. State. It's kind of weird. Yeah. That's the case. Duke, to a certain extent as well, Shire got into that whole conversation with me when I talked to him for the Arkansas game where he was basically laying out, like, here's what it was like um, when I was a player. And when you go from freshman to sophomore and how big of a jump that actually is and your roles in this team, like, you're going to, we're going to be asking guys in roles to do things that they weren't doing a year ago. Um, and a lot of those teams actually didn't use the portal. So it is a bit ironic. Um, hell, maybe I'll even include this in the court report there because there is something there. But that, with even saying that, like, yes, Marquette is now two and two in the Big East. I'll mention the Big East here in a second. Um, I, I'm, we're not going to overreact here in the first week of January and say, and kind of get into like, uh, you know, how worried are we about this team? We, we could well look at Marquette, uh, you know, 10, 20, uh, 10, 15 games down the road and they're doing just fine in their top two in the Big East. But it is at least notable that they are now just one loss away from matching their loss total in all of regular season play uh, last season in the Big East. Uh, let me just, uh, since we already mentioned them, let me put a, because I, I, see, I see you in the chat. With FAU, like I moved them out of the top 25 and one. I felt like I had to. They're still five and two in the first two quadrants. That's not just trust me. As somebody who looks at this yeah. stuff every morning, that's not bad. Okay. What do we, what do we got out that? What are, what's the other records outside of it? Well, they, they're three and two in quadrant four. That's the problem. That's, that's like the loss to Charlotte sounds bad and it is bad, but it's only a quad two loss. Oh, that was my question. Yeah. Was it quad two or quad three? It was yeah, a quad it's a quad two, two loss because Charlotte is 105 yeah. in the net. And um, when you're on the road, you go all the way up to 135, still falls in quad two. So that felt like, because I saw a lot of people lumping it together. Like, Mm -hmm. here comes FAU taking another horrific loss. It was a bad loss, but it ain't as horrific as the other two they got. They've got two quad fours. They're the only team in the country with two quad fours and two quad ones. And now they got a quad two to go with it. I've got them out of the top 25 and one. And I'm not saying they can't get back in there, but the problem with playing in the American Athletic Conference, this version of it, is that um, you don't have places to make up for bad losses. Like, um, uh, you know, Marquette just lost at Seton Hall, right? Well, they got plenty of time and places to to offset that with big wins in the Big East. And that's why if you take a, like, B, let's, let's pretend that BYU is actually a top 10 team in the country. And that's what they'll prove to be. Well, then you can lose at home to Cincinnati. You got a million opportunities to make up for it. And if you're legitimately good, you will. But when you are FAU or Memphis, you do all this work in your non-league to set yourself up. I mean, 
the AAC had two top 20 teams heading into conference, and then one of them loses a starter for the season to a knee injury. That's Memphis and Caleb Mills. And the other one, you know, can't stop taking bad losses, and you don't have places to make up for them. And that's how you end up in that 8-9 game again or something like that. And so it's just, you know, this isn't uh, expert analysis, but, you know, they, 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 if you're trying to get a seed in the NCAA tournament that's going to set you up for success as opposed to, you know, you're hoping Fairleigh Dickinson upsets the number one seed and you get to play them, well, then you, you can't keep taking losses like this because their, their quad one number of wins is going to be low even if they were excellent. Yeah. All season long, they only gonna have so many opportunities. Uh, that's why you can't damage quad four, quad three, quad two, and they got bad stuff in quad four, and now something bad in quad two too. All right, let me uh, let me just uh, drop a few on here. Um, you tell me, you react to whatever you want to. But this is my scene. I didn't see a lot of these games, but this is me looking at the results from across the weekend and kind of the bigger picture stuff. I'll, let's let's go to the Big East here first. So St. John's goes in wins. At Villanova in the Finn for the first time since the Jurassic era, um, Johnny's now eleven and four. Uh, Nova is now ten and five. Seton Hall has now beat Marquette, UConn, and Providence in early uh, season play. So we are still early, but what's fascinating is like the Nova loss. You're kind of like, can you guys, can you try and get it together here? Yet here are the biggie standings right now. Four teams are sitting at three and one. It's UConn. It's Nova. It's St. John's and it's Seton Hall. And then you've got Marquette and Creighton, the two of the three preseason favorites. They're both at two and two. Providence, which has been an upstart and been good, but sitting there at two and two. And then Xavier and Georgetown and DePaul, they um, they have two w- wins combined between them all. Butler was expected to be in that spot, but it was off to a hot start. Now Butler, unfortunately, couldn't get it done Friday night at home against UConn. And it's now 0-3. Um, they're going to have to rally there. Uh, Big East to me, GP is just is just fascinating all around, and the results there um, they they seem to be a, a little bit at odds with the reality of the uh, of the overall standings. Yeah, like it's in, it's one of the more interesting leagues right now because yeah. I just assume Marquette is going to flip it at some point and and be reliably good, um, but they're going to have to go. I think I think this is right. Let me make sure I've got it right. Um, Fifteen and one. The rest of the way to match last season's Big East record. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> and uh, they still got tough games that on that schedule. That's that not happening. happening. Um, so, I but I still think they'll be good. UConn, I I have no concerns with. They're going to be fine. Um, you know, the, the, I have no concerns with UConn. Villanova's all over the place. Villanova could could it's win. Yeah. Villanova could finish seventh in the Big East and then win the Big East tournament, <laughs> or win the Big East and then lose to DePaul. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. in the tournament. I mean, who knows? Nova and FAU. These are the teams with with the uh, with the wackiest resumes out there. I'm all I'm here for it, man. Uh, Creighton. Um, I don't know. I'm. I'll 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 take a wait and see a little more of a wait and see approach with them. Not whether they're going to be good NCAA tournament good all that stuff, but whether they're going to be great like we thought they'd be great. Um. Providence, I just think the the loss of Bryce Hopkins catches up with them at some point. You know what? Good point. Yes, yes. Yeah, that, I just I that think is, that's that is a major, 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 major thing on them, and we will see if they can overcome it. But if they don't, it will truly be at no fault of their own because Hopkins was one of the most valuable players in the country. Seton Hall, I think they're going to be one of those teams that 
They can beat anybody at home, and then they'll see. You know, we'll see what they are on the road. Three and, and one then, OGP. I mean, yeah, that, no, 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 yeah, that is a big start. And if a Villanova doesn't get in, maybe Seton Hall is the team that replaces them. We'll wait and see. Yeah, like uh, I think Seton Hall is going to be a nightmare. Not a nightmare. I don't want to overstate it, but they're going to be a problem for everybody in the Prudential Center, and they'll catch some people on the road too. It, like if I were at Seton Hall, I'd be saying, let's win, let's try to win every home game and win the ones on the road we're supposed to win, and that should be good enough. Okay. All right. Uh, let's just win the one. Let's win our home games and win the ones we're supposed to win on the road, and that'll be good enough. We don't need to go to UConn and win. We don't need to go to. I mean, you get the point. Yeah. Um, St. John's is to me like okay, it's Rick Patino and he's tied for first in there. I yeah. mean, we're twenty. We're only twenty percent through the conference schedule, but mm-hmm. we are twenty percent through the conference schedule, mm-hmm. and Rick Patino's tied for first. Yes. I, I love this league. I, I I think it's one of the more enjoyable leagues to just I, watch. I agree. We said in the preseason, it remain, it's been this way for a while. It continues to be that way. Okay, uh, quick uh, bing, bang, boom here, and then you uh, you wrap it up however you want. Here's what stood out to me. Um, in terms of league standings, oh, by the way, Pac-12 right now, Oregon and Arizona State lead at 4-0 apiece. <laughs> I mean, and Arizona is going to win that league by three games. Uh, yeah, but right now it is Oregon and ASU. ASU, which is not even a top 100 Kempom team right now. By the way, Colorado uh, went 0 and 2 on its Arizona swing. Not going to overreact to that just yet. But 0 and 2, you thought maybe they could have maybe picked one off. That didn't happen. Virginia losing by 16 is an absolute siren alert. They were played at NC State, 16 point loss. We'll see if Tony Bennett can fix things, but that is a, that is an eye opener. I want to circle back on Wake real quick. Peeled off nine straight wins, got an 86-82 OT win over Miami. Steve Forbes' team has come close the past two seasons to make the NCAA tournament, but missed out. It seems like it's setting up for this to be the year for the Deeks to break through. Let's just see how the next couple of weeks go. But uh, I like the signs I'm seeing there. I saw the chat earlier mention this game, this outcome, and you told me that uh, that you have them as your first team out. Texas Tech winning in Austin. So Red Raiders, I think, are, are team 27 for you right now, GP. They won 78-67. Texas Tech is 12-2, and two, uh, but that was its first notable win. So we will see if it's on its way. We got a lot. Of, again, we have a lot of intriguing teams right now that only have two or three losses at this point. But if you dig into the resumes, there's a lot of work to be done. So some of these teams will wind up emerging. And They'll emerge to the point where I think they'll get single-digit seeds, but a, a couple of them, I think it's inevitable. It'll just It'll just break this way. They'll kind of fade, and we'll look up, and they'll be well on their way in the NIT. With Texas Tech, I just simply don't know, but it's obviously a notable one. Texas is 11-3 and does not have a notable win yet. Also, reminder, it only beat Louisville by one. I was at that game in the garden there. Keep an eye on the Longhorns. Nearly got to the Final Four last year. Two seed. Rodney Terry did a great job. You and I agreed he had done enough to earn getting the job, and we like the Texas future under him. However, to this point, haven't quite seen it yet. You know, they're a, they're a little bit of a pretender. We'll see. And then two more. Carolina wins at Clemson. Continue similar to Kentucky. Carolina is just there's you're getting enough there to give you real hope that you know we have the evidence here that okay, maybe we're not a top five team. Who sees it? Who knows if we'll be a top 10 team, but now won four straight, three and zero in league play. Uh, meantime, Clemson. It's 11-3, lost three of five, and all those three of those games were the high majors. The two wins came to mid-major teams. And then my last one, I'm going to absolutely shout out Utah State here. Held at home to beat Colorado State by five. Utah State in its first season under Danny Sprinkle is 14-1. and one. We obviously previously recently talked about the Mountain West and its legitimacy. I told you it's basically a lock to get at least four bids. It's because of results like this, like Utah State getting that quad one win on its home floor is going to push them uh, to vie to get into the tournament. They're well on their way at this point. That was an important result for the Mountain West over the weekend. Um, just bouncing around 
reacting to what you said. Uh, Texas Tech, assuming Michigan State, update me on that Michigan State score. And I hate doing that in a podcast. So I'm yeah, hold on. I got, you, I got you right now. I think it just, it's just coming back. Hold on. It's literally just coming back from commercial as we are doing this. So keep going, and I will give it to you once it flashes. I got it right here. Uh, so Northwestern 66, Michigan State 55, 751 left. The point I'm trying to make is if Michigan State loses, I got to get them out of the top 25 and one, and I will replace them with Texas Tech. Not but, Utah. So not Utah State. Baby, where have you been? Utah State's 18th. Okay, okay, there we go. Okay, all right. Uh, you ready for this? Mountain West, updated top 25 and one. Yes. San Diego State, 17th. Utah State, 18th. Colorado State, 19th. Nevada, 21. Yeah, and New Mexico's not that far behind either. They got a big one coming later this weekend. San Diego State on CBS, but that'll be a Friday episode. Um, On Wake. Yeah. Nine straight wins. I moved them in. The, and you were right. Um, like we always talk about, man, Eric Musselman. Nobody does the portal like Eric Musselman. You know who does the pretty, portal pretty good? Forbes. Steve Forbes. Top two scores right now um, are from the portal. Hunter Salas out of Gonzaga and then Kevin Miller out of Central Michigan. And like he before that, he had Jake LaRavia, who becomes a first round draft pick. Yeah. I wish he would have never been a first round draft pick. <laughs> okay. Oh, God, that's terrible. Okay. Just keep but it, I, please. But. I mean, I feel like I'm doing. We don't need to bury Jake Laravia as you're trying to make a point about Forbes' work in the portal. That's good. that's right. You're right. That's my colleague, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We well, both get direct. We both get direct deposits from from the same place. Okay. But if you want to know the truth, I think I'm doing more for the Grizzlies right now than Jake Laravia. Let's keep it moving, please. Okay. So anyway, shouts to Forbes, and we talked about it before. He had a just a nightmare of an off season. His wife Janetta, um, and it's very publicly. I'm not telling secrets. He. Uh, um, she suffered a stroke. She's doing better, like it, it really encouraging signs. But it's just, I would hate just on a personal level for Forbes to be dealing with that in his personal life and then struggling in his professional life as well. I know one has nothing to do with other the other and basketball wins don't help you when you walk in the front door and, and your wife is still struggling to get back to where she was. Um, but like it I, I bet it, I bet it's better than the alternative. I bet it's better than the alternative. So I'm really happy for for Steve and his family and, and everybody at uh, Wake Forest. And then the, the, the other point you made that I wanted to touch on, because it's true, there are a lot of teams that built up great records, power conference teams, South Carolina, Cincinnati. Um, and you look at them and you go, okay, great record, but you ain't beat nobody. All right, great record, but you ain't done nothing. And then they actually beat somebody and you're like, all right, what do I do with these guys now? Texas Tech. Yep. So I, like, I looked at South Carolina and then I just decided against it. But a win at home over Mississippi State made me at least look at you. And um, there were there were a handful of those this weekend that emerged. Like, okay, we're two months into this thing. You've got a nice record. You ain't really beat anybody. Okay, Cincinnati, go to BYU and win. Okay, Texas Tech, go to Austin and win. Um, okay, South Carolina, knock off a Mississippi State team. There was just a lot of that this weekend or some of that this weekend that was notable. All right, good deal. You got anything else, bud? Well, just looking ahead to the next couple of, of nights, there's nothing from a college basketball perspective interesting on Monday night, no top 25 teams are scheduled to play, which means none are going to play. I don't know why I said it that way. It's not like no one no, no will be scheduled <laughs> to play right gonna, now. And then, and then I'm not going to scramble down to the local <laughs> blacktop and get it going. That's not <laughs> it. It would be like, oh, no. On Sunday night, I said no one were playing. And then on Monday morning, they decided to schedule a game. No top 25 teams are playing Monday night, at least no current top 25 teams. Um, we do have the college football playoff. Let's pick it. It's Washington and Michigan. Monday. Eight game one. Game one. Monday. 
What's the line? Well, I'm going to let me actually, can I guess? Let me yeah, guess you can I'll say, uh, Michigan's got to be favored, obviously. I'll say that is Michigan minus three and a half. It's four and a half. Four and a half. Do you want to okay. make, you want to add it to the final four in one tally? I think we have done this almost every year. So this is an unofficial final. Uh, it's an official final four official. one tally. Not to add it to the board here. I did, by the way, did you, did you mention on the show or not? I sent Nada. He, he, Oh, this is how I see what's going on. He texted me. He texted me your picks, your the, your game picks, and so literally, I'm I'm in I'm in the gondola on Killington going up, and I'm and I sent him back all the stuff. I sent it from the gondola. Well, how'd you go this week? Um, not us got it here. Actually, let me bring it up real quick. Uh, let's. I don't know who covered or not. I, hold on. Where is my uh, not? I'm bringing it up. Here we go. I picked Purdue. Purdue was so that's, that's a that's a loss. That's a loss. I picked Kentucky minus one. That's a win. That's a win. Okay, I picked Kansas minus seven. That's a loss. One and two. I picked. Oh, why did I pick Mississippi to cover? That's a terrible loss. Yeah, I did that too. One, a terrible loss. One and three, and then I took Clemson minus. Oh, I had no. You know what? These picks don't count. These picks. Well, one and four. I went two and three. Gondola ride doesn't count. It wasn't on that gondola ride, but I had I had some very kind college student offer me a gummy on the gondola. I to turn oh, it down. Ten it, milligrams or twenty five? Because no, you got to know. I'm. I am. You got to know. You got to know if you don't know the difference between 10 and a 25 boy, you messing around too much. He was first. I don't I, I, that really might not be safe. Although to be fair, this, this, uh, this chap, it was, I, it was like the second to last ride of the day. So he might've just been trying to get it going there. Turn it down. My point is this gondola ride picture, not count, but I'll wear it all the same. Okay. You're one and four. I'm two and three. I had a one game lead. That means I have a two game lead. That means no matter what happens in this national championship game on Monday night, I will walk into Friday's final four and one still with an insurmountable lead. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want to pick or do you want me to pick first? I want to pick first because I want to be. I already got my pick. So I'm going to watch mine. Okay. I'm Washington. Thanks. Straight up. Washington 27, Michigan 24. That's your final score. Take the Huskies and the under. Ah. Uh, what the hell? I'll take Washington straight up as well, but I'm, I will take them against the spread for these purposes. And um, yeah, what the hell? Why not? 31, 31. Uh, now I'll go. Uh, I'll go make it weird. I'll say 26, 20 Wazoo, not Wazoo, Washington. Wazoo is not in this game. Um, and it's wild. Did you hear what Jim Harbaugh is going to do? I, I assume this is a bit. So go ahead. Lay it on me. He's going to let Phil Martelli coach the game. Oh, oh my gosh. We're running long. Do we, do we need to get into this? What I don't care. Let me, here's my official, because I saw some people, everybody's got opinions on it. Here's my opinion on Phil Mart mm -hmm. on Juwan Howard letting Phil Martelli coach back in Philadelphia today. I don't care. Yeah. But yeah. it is weird. <laughs> and if I were a Michigan fan, I would be going, gesture. why, yeah. why does our coach... Above 500. I don't I, I, why does our coach seem more interested in fist fighting people than coaching basketball games? <laughs> That's what I would want to know if I were a Michigan fan. Uh, I, I did see that and I was like, all right. And obviously he was in Philadelphia. So uh, it, it's just like, uh, um, imagine, I don't know. I, uh, what if we see Martelli on the sideline tomorrow night at the national show? <laughs> coaching with a headset on. And Jawan Howard and Jim Harbaugh are just sitting behind him. <laughs> or, or it's even like it's a flash to the box, like one of the coordinators, and right next to him is Martelli with headset on up in the suite there. But I'm just, I just, oh, just think God. of a random right now, top of your head. Yeah. Think of a random SEC school. Uh, okay, I, I got it. You want me to say it out loud? Name one assistant Tennessee. coach from that school. Tennessee Jordan Ganey. <laughs> okay, 
wherever Jordan Ganey lives, yeah. just imagine Tennessee was playing a game there and Rick Barnes was just like, hey, I ain't coaching tonight because <laughs> we're in Jordan's hometown. That's bananas. Yeah, I think I said Jordan. I meant Justin Ganey. My apologies. Yeah, but, right. uh, but yes, yes. Yeah, okay, just the same thing, right? It's just like, what? What are we doing? I know. Like, there's a reason you've never heard of this happening before. Yeah. Because it's strange. It is strange. So anyway, I don't care, but it is strange. But I do look forward. I think Phil Martelli. I think <laughs> Phil Martelli could coach football. <laughs> he probably could. Remember when Tom Izzo was thinking about coaching football? I don't. I remember when he put his guys in football gear. I remember that. That was no. This is, this was a real thing. He was thinking about maybe becoming a football coach after he already had a Hall of Fame basketball career. <laughs> and I wrote a column about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just at CBS. I mean, I've been there. I don't know, a year or two. I'm still this is 07. We're thinking this is 07. Though. I don't remember. I just remember there was like a legitimate report. Tom Izzo was maybe thinking about coaching Michigan State football or something. And I wrote a column. I didn't really know Tom that much back then. And I wrote a column basically saying like, just because you're, he was friends with the old 49ers coach. Yeah. 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 Come on, man. Mariucci. Steve Mariucci, right. And like friends since they were like 10 or whatever. So it was the classic young guy writing a column. Like just because you're friends with a football coach doesn't mean you can coach football. <laughs> like what are we doing? And uh, so something happened and my phone rings and it's Tom. And I'm like, oh God, here we go. So I, I go, all right, well, I guess, I guess I know what this would, I don't remember the context, but I just, hello. And the first words out of his mouth, to keep in mind, we barely know each other. All right. First words out of his mouth. You really think I couldn't coach MF in football? I was like, uh, uh, excuse me? And he starts laughing. <laughs> he just he had fun with it, but I was like terrified because he sounded mad eventually. Uh, or he sounded mad initially. But um, if 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 Tom Izzo could coach football once upon a time, I don't have any doubt Phil Martelli could as well. And I look forward to that tomorrow night. Yeah, Northwestern's up by 13 and about to meet Michigan State for the third straight time. Welcome to the top 25 and one Texas Tech. So we don't have anything on uh Monday, except for football. We both have picked Washington to win outright. Tuesday, pretty great schedule. Run you through some games. Tell me what stands out. Houston is at Iowa State. That is the number one team in the computers against a possible computer tricker. That's going to be difficult, though. I'll be surprised if that's not a tight game. Texas is at Cincinnati. All right, you got one big win. Can you get two? Here's a chance. Purdue is at Pinnacle Bank. They're going to walk right in. Probably BYU is at Baylor. Hey, don't lose one. You're supposed to win before you got to play one. You're supposed to lose. That's how you get a losing skid. That's a skid. That could That's be a skid, skid right there. Could be a, could be a BYU skid on the way. Colorado state is at Boise state. That is just, uh, here we go. Colorado state. Although they were, that's not the same situation as BYU. Continue. That's a, that's a tasty mountain West affair. Duke is that little bub. Little Bub. They got to go to Pitt and deal with Little Bub. Good that's luck with the, that. That's the Matt Plisga special. Um, he's the SID at Pitt, former SID at Duke. So, yeah. Texas A&M is at Auburn. Man, there's a, we are loaded up on Tuesday. And then on CBS Sports Network, we'll have a triple header. We're going to open with the Inside College Basketball at 630 Eastern. 7 o'clock Eastern, Toledo at Kent State. 9 o'clock Eastern, Creighton at DePaul. 11 Eastern, it's my San Diego State Aztecs at San Jose State. So it looks like somebody's staying up to about 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe 4 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday. You want to see some bloodshot eyes on a Wednesday morning podcast? Baby, be here at the start. And this is a, 
opportunity for a programming note. This is why once we hit this point in the, in the season, uh, we have been trying to give you these 9 a.m. podcasts as frequently as we can. But when GP is in studio late the night before, we're going to do 10 a.m. starts on YouTube for our live audience. The chat's been hey. nice. We appreciate that as well. But our hey. our Wednesday morning shows, when Paris is in studio late, we will start at 10 a.m. now instead of 9 a.m. That's a really good Tuesday slate. We'll have no uh, no shortage of things to talk about and react to. Let's predict right now. What what game will we be reacting to? For what will lead the Wednesday show? My guess is, I will say, I'm going to say. Man, there's a lot of options here. Uh, why the hell not? Pitt takes out Duke, and we leave with a Duke loss on Wednesday. Little Bob, Little Bob gets it done. Keep in Ooh. mind, Pitt is ten and five. Does Pitt have a top one hundred? Pitt doesn't have a top one hundred win. I'm walking that back immediately. I will say, oh, you're going to regret this. Oh, am I? You're going to regret walking it back. Uh, well, you know, but I am. I am walking it back. They haven't. They, not that they can't. They haven't beaten a top one hundred opponent yet. I got to see it happen once. I can't just walk in and just declare that. I don't think I feel like a BYU loss at Baylor. If it happens, that's not leading the show. No, it, well, here's what it will be. You ready for this? Yeah, it'll either be Houston losing at Iowa State, which I'm not predicting, but mm-hmm. it's certainly in the cards, or it will be Purdue losing at Pinnacle Bank, or it will be Duke losing at Pitt. One of those teams is going to lose a road game. And if none of that, if none of that happens, the the next obvious pick is or the next choice is obvious. I should say. What do you think it is? I mean, you should know what it is. It's crystal clear. Phil Martelli coaching Michigan to an Oh my God, that's going to be wild. That's that's going to lead the show. He deserves that. I mean... That better be in Houston right now. That's all I'm saying. He deserves that. He deserves the opportunity. That's what... I do not think Houston, Purdue, and Duke will all come out of that okay. One of them is going to lose. Maybe more. All right, there we go. All right, I can't wait. I'm Feel fired better. Right now. Go get some. You know what? You look like you need some sleep, and frankly, so do I. Man, I got a long way to go before I can get to sleep tonight. Okay. I got to unpack a suitcase, repack a suitcase, figure out how I'm going to get kids to school in the morning with a, a wife in the bed, and I got to catch a plane. Man, I ain't never needed a nanny more than I do right now. And I don't, that sounded bad. You know what I mean. I just I need help. I just need help. In fact, I think I do. I think I. I think I just need help. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Huck. Don't you ever. Who is this? Guys. Who is this? I, I, you said it at the top of the show. It was, uh, I, I don't know. Norlander's inability to acknowledge the tribal chief is shameful. Tribal chief. I knew it was some sort of name that I was like, is it a non-PC name? Like, I can't even remember what this thing this guy's called. This is Roman Reigns. He's your universal oh, I know champion. The name Roman Reigns. So his so his real name is Roman Reigns and his stage name. <laughs> no, is I don't Reigns. think his real name is Roman Reigns. <laughs> I don't, dude. I don't. <laughs> I, th- I think it's like I think his real name is like Jay Z or something. So it's not Jay Z. What if his real name was Jay Z, but he changed it to Roman Reigns? Wouldn't that be something? You call him Roman Reigns or the tribal chief okay. or the head of the table, but you must acknowledge it's him. Like he's got to narrow this down. It's got to be just let's go with one. Put your one up. I don't know why he doesn't just have a one up here. That doesn't work. That's a goofy way to design a Roman Reigns. Shouts to Roman Reigns. Yeah. He's a great champion. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. There's more of us than there are of them. One of us. 
Someone in the chat is saying BYU at Baylor is a battle of the thems. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Buddy, that's going to be, they're going to be some. Yeah. Let's wrap this show up. Yeah, we better go before we say something ridiculous. All right. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.